Good morning. I greet you this morning in the name of Jesus. I pray that you have come here this morning ready to be refreshed again by his word. If you would open your Bibles with me to John chapter 6. Kidron has asked for the reading of that this morning. I will make a, a few comments to hopefully set the stage as we read through this, to read through it with a, um, uh, with a particular uh, thought in mind. And I'll just share that thought with you right from the beginning. Um, uh, Jesus uh, once said, as, as he was commenting what he could give to people, he said, come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, I will give you rest. And yet many times we want to uh, substitute that for, for something else. Um, in fact, we will have prayer requests here in, in just a few minutes. And often, at least in my memory, I've never heard someone just simply ask for a prayer request for rest. And maybe we should. Uh, resting in, in Jesus. But we want to substitute that for a lot of different things. And, and I think about that even... Um, as the song was saying this morning, thank you, Crystal, for that. The first song was, the chorus went like this. Trusting in Jehovah, hearts are fully blessed. Finding as he promised, perfect peace and rest. And so there we see it again, is this idea of, of resting in Jesus. <clears throat> and so I don't know how you came this morning. Um, hopefully you had a nice physical night of rest last night. But I'm thinking of something that is different than that, the idea of, of your heart and of your mind and of your soul. Are you at rest this morning? I mean, I, I know what it's like to come to church, and, and some days I come and, and sure, I'm at peace, I'm at rest. But there's been days I've shown up to church when, when my heart's crushed, and it's bleeding, and it's hurting. And I've shown up to church and sat there in those chairs, and my mind's a rush. There's something that's just banging around in my mind, and I'm distracted. And I've come here to church and sat, and my soul is not at rest. And so I, as we begin this meeting, as we go through our morning services and the various things that we do, I pray that we can pause for just a moment and let Jesus give us rest. He, he, he asked us, he said, come unto me, and I will give you rest. And so, um, I guess I'm going to do something a little out of the ordinary. I'm going to ask you to shut your eyes for a second, so please do that. And for just a moment, I'd like you to imagine that you are the only person sitting in that chair. Everybody else is gone, and it's just you. And Jesus walks through these back doors, and, and you hear him. You, you turn around, and you see him, and he comes and sits beside you. And maybe he sits there beside you, maybe he puts his arm around you, I don't know. But he's sitting there beside you. And he just simply asks you one question. What do you want? And what do you need? And I'm guessing that whatever's in your heart and your mind and your soul is on the tip of that tongue. And Jesus knows exactly what that question is. And I would encourage you, as you go through this day, you can open up your eyes. As you go through this day, to share whatever that was with a trusted friend, a spouse, 
someone who's close to you. And I would encourage you just to pray about that because it's close to your heart and, and it's what Jesus wants to give you rest from. There was a man that began his ministry in 1852 in London and he started preaching to anyone that would listen to the poor and the beggarly, the, the, the sad types of life. The, the prostitutes, the drunkards, the criminals, the thieves in London. <clears throat> and uh, he had a real heart for people, and he had a heart for the gospel and evangelism. And, in, and by 19, uh, 1867, he had a, about 10 assistants that worked with him. They were regularly threatened, beaten, um, both by the streets and by the, by the uh, government officials, police and things. They seem to be on the bad side of just about everyone. Within about another 15 years in the early or to the mid-1870s, they didn't have 10 people. They had about 1,000. They were going all over England, and it spread. Uh, and to this day, we know it as the Salvation Army. Uh, William Booth uh, began that ministry. He died in 1912. But they asked him near the end of his life um, in in they ask him this question, what is the chief danger of the 20th century? And he answered it this way. <clears throat> he said, the chief danger of the 20th century will be religion without the Holy Spirit, Christianity without Christ, forgiveness without repentance, salvation without regeneration, politics without God, and heaven without hell. And I thought, wow, that's an interesting take. And I think he's pretty well spot on. We've seen that go out. And so I just asked us the question this morning, um, what are we leaving out? Because there's some really important things there that if we only have religion, Christianity, forgiveness, salvation, politics, and we only talk about heaven, we've missed a big chunk of what there is in Christianity because we must have the Holy Spirit's impact on our life. We must be able to repent and have regeneration. And we must recognize that without God, there is hell. There is a punishment in life. And so as I read through this this morning, I want you to think about the fact, and I um, believe based on what I saw come across uh, as an alert on my phone, we're on live streaming here, that he's going to talk about the bread of life, how Jesus refreshes us. And so I would just simply continue the question of, or he's asking us, come unto me and I will give you rest. And so let us read through this and see what he's doing for all these people in these circumstances. It says, after these things, beginning in John chapter 6, after these things, Jesus went over the Sea of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberias, and a great multitude followed him because they saw his miracles, which he did on them that were diseased. And Jesus went up into the mountain, and there he sat with his disciples. And the Passover, a feast of the Jews, was nigh. When Jesus then lifted up his eyes and saw a great company come unto him, he saith unto Philip, When shall we buy bread that these may eat? And this he said to prove him, for he himself knew what he would do. Philip answered him, Two hundred pennyworth of bread is not sufficient for them, and every one of them, that every one of them may take a little. And one of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, saith unto him, There is a lad here, which hath five barley loaves and two small fishes. But what are they among so many? 
And Jesus said, Make the men sit down. Now there was much grass in the place, so the men sat down, in number about 5,000. And Jesus took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed to the disciples, and the disciples to them that were sat down, likewise of the fishes, as much as they would. And when they were filled, he said unto his disciples, Gather up the fragments that remain, that nothing be lost. Therefore they gathered them together and filled twelve baskets with the fragments of the five barley loaves, which remained over and above unto them that had eaten. Then those men, when they had seen the miracle that Jesus did, said, <clears throat> This is of a truth, that prophet that should come unto the world. When Jesus therefore perceived that they would come and take him by force to make him a king, he departed again into the mountain himself alone. And when even was now come, his disciples went down into the sea and into the, entered unto the ship and went over in the sea towards Capernaum. And it was now dark, and Jesus was not come to them. And the sea arose by reason of a great wind that blew. And so then they had rowed about five and twenty or thirty furlongs. They see Jesus walking on the sea and drawing nigh into the ship, and they were afraid. But he saith unto them, is it, it is I, be not afraid. And then they willingly received him into the ship, and immediately the ship was at the land, whither they went. And I will just pause and interject. I hope you're seeing the fact that what they wanted in these various circumstances, they wanted to make him king, and he said no. They wanted some relief from the storm, and he, he preserved them from it. But he gave them what they really needed, and not necessarily what they were asking for. Verse 22, the day following when the people which stood on the other side of the sea saw that there was none other boat there, save the one wherein to his disciples had entered, that Jesus went not with his disciples into the boat, but that his disciples were gone away alone. Howbeit there came other boats from Tiberias, nigh unto the place where they did eat bread, after that the Lord had given thanks. When the people therefore saw that Jesus was not there, neither his disciples, they also took shipping and came to Capernaum seeking for Jesus. And when they had found him on the other side of the sea, they said unto him, Rabbi, when comest thou hither? And Jesus answered and said, unto, and said, answered them and said, Verily, verily, I say unto you, ye seek me, not because ye saw the miracles, but because you did eat of the loaves and were filled. Labor not for the meat which perisheth, but for that, which, that meat which endureth unto everlasting life, which the Son of Man shall give unto you, for him hath God the Father sealed. Then they said unto him, What shall we do, that we might work the works of God? And Jesus answered and said unto him, This is the work of God, that ye believe on him whom he hath sent. They said therefore unto him, What sign sheweth thou then, that we may see and believe thee? What dost thou work? Our fathers did eat man in the desert, as it is written, He gave them bread from heaven to eat. Then Jesus said unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Moses gave you not that bread from heaven, but my Father gave you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he which cometh down from heaven, and giveth life unto the world. And then they said unto him, Lord, evermore give us this bread. And Jesus saith unto him, I am the bread of life. He that cometh to me shall never hunger, and he that believeth on me shall never thirst. But I said unto you, I said unto you, that ye, sh ye also have seen me, and believe not. All that the Father giveth me shall come to me, and him that cometh to me I will in no wise cast out. For I came down from heaven not to do mine own will, but the will of him that sent me. And this is the Father's will which hath sent me, that of all which he hath given me I should lose nothing, but should raise it up again in the last day. And this is the will of him that sent me, that everyone which seeth the Son and believeth on him 
may have everlasting life, and I will raise him up at the last day. The Jews then murmured at him because he said, I am the bread which came down from heaven. And he said, is, is not this Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How is it then that he saith, I came down from heaven? Jesus therefore answered and said unto them, Murmur not among yourselves. No man can come to me except the Father which sent me draw him, and I will raise him up the last day. It is written in the prophets, and they, sh and they shall be all taught of God. Every man therefore that hath heard and hath learned of the Father cometh to me. Not that any man hath seen the Father, save he that which is of God, and he hath seen the Father. Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that believeth on me hath everlasting life. I am the bread of life. Your fathers did eat man in the wilderness and are dead. This is the bread which cometh down from heaven, that a man eat thereof and not die. I am the living bread which came down from heaven. If any man eat of this bread, he shall live forever. And the bread which I give is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. The Jews therefore strove among themselves, saying, How can this man give us his flesh to eat? Then Jesus said unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Except ye eat the flesh of the Son of Man, and drink his blood, ye have no life in you. Whoso eateth my flesh, and drinketh my blood, hath eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day. For my flesh is meat indeed, and my blood is drink indeed. He that eateth my flesh, and drinketh my blood, dwelleth in me, and I in him. As the living Father hath sent me, and I live, in, and I live by the Father, so he that eateth me, even he shall live by me. This is the bread of life. This is the bread which came down from heaven, not as your fathers did eat manna and are dead. He that eateth of this bread shall live forever. These things said he in the synagogue as he taught in Capernaum. Many, therefore, of his disciples, when they heard him say this, said, This is a hard saying. Who can hear it? When Jesus knew in himself that his disciples murmured at it, he said unto them, Doth this offend you? What and if? Ye shall see the Son of Man ascend up where he was before. It is the Spirit that quickeneth, and the flesh profiteth nothing. The words that I speak unto you, they are spirit, and they are life. But there are some of you that believe not. For Jesus knew from the beginning who they were that believed not, who should betray him. And he said, Therefore I say unto you, that no man can come unto me, except it were given unto him of my Father. From that time many of his disciples went back and walked no more with him. Then said Jesus unto the twelve, Will ye also go away? Then Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? Thou hast the words of eternal life, and we believe and are sure that thou art that Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus answered them, Have I not chosen you twelve, and one of you is the devil? He spoke of Judas Iscariot, the son of Simon, for he it was that should betray him, being one of the twelve. I am interested to hear what our brother Kidron will say on this chapter this morning. But as the theme of this clearly is, how refreshed are, am I? How refreshed are you by the presence of God as we take him into our lives and as we abide close to him? So I pray that his rest will be upon each one of you this morning as we go through the rest of this service. At this time, we will take uh, prayer requests. What is on your heart this morning that we can pray about? Yeah. So, 
Steve has a, a cousin who has a tumor that will be removed this Thursday, you said? Surgery? Anything else? Reminder to pray for those in leadership. Anything else? What's next? Yeah. The family of Ashley Denlinger. The family of Ashley Denlinger. What's next? Continued prayers uh, for Lynn and his health conditions. What's next? Let's go to prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you again to be able to come before you. Uh, this morning as we have gathered uh, as a group uh, of believers and we acknowledge your uh, presence in our lives and your presence here in this place. Father, we uh, thank you for the opportunity that we can uh, open your word and I, I pray for Kidron as he would do that this morning, that it would speak to our hearts in a uh, new and living way to remind us of the truths that we know, to refresh them in our heart or to teach us something that we did not know. Lord, I pray that you would remove the distractions in our hearts and minds this morning, that we would be able to, to hear your spirit, to, to hear it uh, as you speak to us through your Holy Spirit and the, the ways of life through spoken word and through uh, circumstances of life. But Father, I pray that your word, your living word, the Bible, would be clear in our lives, that we would know it and understand it. And I pray this morning that this uh, word would be made clear to us as we listen to the preaching this morning. Father, there are a variety of, of uh, prayer requests. Uh, some of them have been spoken this morning. Um, Father, I am sure there are many more that have not. And so uh, I pray for those that were not spoken this morning. The things that are on the hearts of, of men and women, uh, uh, children and, and older, that weigh on our hearts. And Father, we just simply give those to you and know that you are a God who cares and knows and hears and responds. Father, we do want to pray for um, Steve's cousin, as he mentioned, uh, as having a surgery this Thursday. Uh, and Father, these, these times always produce uh, a little concern and sometimes a lot of concern. But Father, we pray your blessing upon um, that uh, man and for uh, the surgery that is going to occur, your blessing to be there and upon him. Father, we do pray for uh, the leadership um, of this congregation for the, the choices that have to be made for the uh, issues that come before them, uh, for wisdom, um, for your spirit. We pray that it would reside upon them. Uh, we pray for uh, leadership of families as uh, men and women, moms and dads make the decisions they need to for their families. We pray that you would uh, guide and, and direct in all things. Father, we do pray for the family of Ashley Denlinger and the circumstances that are there you are um, aware of, of those things, and we pray that your spirit would work in all circumstances. Father, we pray for Lynn, uh, for the concern that has been expressed by his family. Um, 
And we just pray that your hand of healing to be upon him, uh, for him to fulfill the, the role you've given him in life, that you may strengthen him, that you would use him, and that this event would not be a, uh, a look back on as a time of, of ugliness, but a time of blessing, and that they can look back on it and uh, now and in the future and see your hand at work in all these things. Father, we ask that you would continue to be with us. Bless this day. Bless us as we begin this week. Guide us as we go through today and, and uh, a work week. Uh, give us the strength we need. May our hearts and minds be open to you and listen to all that you have to say for us. May your word speak to us every day of our lives. Father, we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Greetings in Jesus' name. Thank you, Zach, for a long reading there and for the exercise of closing your eyes and imagining Jesus set beside you. I'm not sure mine was very deep, my prayer request, and it was this, uh, or my request to Jesus was that He would give me the words today to explain to you something that I don't comprehend. And then... He answered it. Zach read this chapter and we just heard a sermon from Jesus Christ himself about the bread of life. So I will muddle around here a little bit this morning and see if I can tell you what I'm thinking. And let's just see if you comprehend it or not. Um, the bread of life is the title that I put on this message. And for some time... This has fascinated me. The last time I spoke was not here. And so it's good to be home and it's, it's good to see familiar faces. And the longer I went with this topic and I rolled it around, I read this sixth chapter of John and I had committed to God. I felt like that this is what I wanted to talk about today. I realized if you allow the pun that I had bit off more than what I could chew. This is quite a large piece of bread here that we're dealing with today. So. Let's just start off and work through this chapter, um, John chapter 6, 
and see if we can gain some insight into who the man, the God, Jesus Christ is. Chapter starts off with, after these things, it's really easy, you can go back in the, in the book of John and, and see how we got there, but that's one of the reasons I had Zach do such a long reading is this gives us a lot of context of what Jesus is talking about. So, in, these, in this first instance here of the feeding of the 5,000, it says in verse 2 of chapter 6 that a great multitude followed because the miracles, because they saw the miracles which he did on them that were diseased. So that would be the previous after these things that verse 1 talked about. Jesus went up into a mountain and there he sat with his disciples. And then verse 4 says, almost like a side comment in the Passover, Feast of the Jews was nigh. I actually think the Passover is, is an important context here because Jesus is coming to, he has been speaking to Jewish people. That's, that's where we, we read this Bible. And they've got this feast coming. And it appears like that they are in the area of Galilee is where this, this, these events and sermon take place. So more than likely, if the Passover is nigh, and remember the Passover is from Exodus chapter 12. Israel was in Egypt because of a famine. So we're going to be talking about bread. We're going to be talking about food. They were out of food. They had to go to Egypt to get food. God, after several hundred years, God delivered them out of persecution in Egypt. And He instituted this feast of the Passover that coincidentally is near here in verse 4. And the feast of the Passover... When you, when you read about it in the, in the Gospels, sometimes I think it's Luke references it as the Feast of Unleavened Bread. So the Passover meal happens one night, and then the, the week-long Feast of Unleavened Bread starts. So when it's referenced, typically, whoever the writer is, they're talking about both all as one, even though there's two separate orders from God that are going on here. So the Feast of the Passover, the actual meal where the lamb was slain, the blood was put on the doorpost. The feast of the Passover is a memorial of the time that God passed over those houses and did not bring death to the firstborn of the house. If the blood was not on the doorpost, then death came to the firstborn of the house in the whole land of Egypt and even the cattle in the, in the land of Egypt. So the children of Israel, by order of God, painted the, the blood on their doorpost. They partook of the sacrifice of the lamb that night. And then the Feast of Unleavened Bread observes the exodus that they experienced the very next day of which they had been praying for and hoping for for a long time. So the people, this would have been another feast where they would have, they would have been required of the Lord to go to Jerusalem to celebrate this Feast of the Passover and for this week-long Feast of Unleavened Bread. Uh, the oral tradition of the Jews called the Mishnah also tells us, and this is oral tradition, we're, we're, this is not the Bible I'm quoting here, but that the Galilean people had a tradition where 24 hours before the feast of the Passover, they would fast. And that fast would, was the fast of the firstborn, or they were recognizing the fact that God had delivered their nation, had delivered the firstborn child out of death because they had painted blood, the blood of the sacrificial lamb on the doorpost. So these people that are listening to this sermon, 
when it says, verse 4, that the Passover is near, these are the things that they are getting ready for. More than likely, there's a lot of people that are preparing to fast. And they're going to make a trip to Jerusalem and observe this feast. So Jesus then, in this instance, says very little. There's, I've got a red letter edition of the Bible of the words that Jesus said. There's like two, three statements He says here in this feeding of the 5,000. But we do learn that He feeds 5,000 people with five loaves and two fishes. And I don't want to spend a lot of time here because I really want to get to the bread of life, but I think it's important to see these actions of Jesus before we get to the words that he's getting ready to speak because they're very profound and, and this gives context to them. So Jesus takes the five loaves and two fishes and in verse 11 there's a phrase that we want to observe and when he had given thanks. This event of the five loaves and two fishes if I am thinking correctly, is the only miracle that we have record of in all four of the Gospels that are written. All four of these Gospels make this statement right here. Jesus took the loaves and when He had given thanks. So pay attention to that because Jesus takes the bread, He, he gives thanks for it, and then He breaks it, distributes to the disciples and the disciples distributed to those that were setting down. And he had five loaves and two fishes. And when they got done, there was 12 baskets full. So more than enough bread to feed all of these hungry people who had came out to the, to the area they were at, a mountain, verse 3 says. And it's almost like they were following him because he was a spectacle. They had seen some healings. And they just wanted to see some more of this. He cut, he, or they follow him out to, the, to an area where there's not just a whole lot of food to be had. And then he, he, he miraculously feeds them. Like, so they've got the spectacle and now they've got all this free food. And this, this starts to, I think, get a little bit puzzling to them. Um, and there's lots of Lots of comparisons or there's lots of lessons could be learned from this. I think uh, in verse 14, like Zach mentioned, they, they wanted to, when they had seen the miracle that Jesus did, they said, this is of a truth, that prophet that should come. In Deuteronomy, God had promised to Moses and the children of Israel that there would be another like Moses come. Um, I will raise up a prophet from among your brethren like unto you and will put my words in his mouth and will speak unto them all that I shall command him. These men seen the possibility of a leader. They knew from the old scriptures or the scriptures that they had, which that time would have been the five books of Moses, five loaves. It would have been the writings, they called them, one of the fish, if you will, and it would have been the prophets. So they were going to take him by force and make him a king because he had the ability to create all this food or to miraculously have all this food. Imagine what that would do for a political leader of the day. Jesus, on the other hand, does not want that. He goes back up to the mountain, but what he's just done 
is given a physical example of what he can do with the, with the Word of God, with the Scriptures that they had in, the, in, in, appears like to me, represented by the five loaves and two fishes, the law, the prophets, and the writings, or like the Psalms and the Proverbs, when he gives thanks and he breaks the bread or he multiplies it out so that there's so much left that he says, take up the fragments that none be lost. And we'll see the none be lost again. So I'll move on from commenting on that. There's a whole lot more uh, in that instance that we could talk about. But then, so I'm considering it as that while they may have taken the, the wrong idea that they needed to make this man their king, they needed to be delivered from the Romans, be delivered from the persecution and from hunger, Jesus multiplied the word of God to them. And his disciples that followed them, so I, I look at myself today and I learn the word of God. I'm, as a young man, my, my parents taught me the word of God. I've got the word of God. And I say, Lord, I believe. And then he sends me out to the sea by myself. Or like his disciples here, while the, this, this account doesn't say it, it appears like they were disciples or they were followers of Jesus. So more than likely he sent them and said, go to the boat and if I don't show up by dark, you take out across the sea. So likely they were sent by Jesus out on the sea and they row for a while. They get a ways out. Verse 19. So when they had rowed about five and twenty or thirty furlongs, they see Jesus walking on the sea. Oh, verse 18, the sea arose by reason of a great wind. So Jesus has, has taught them. He's multiplied the word to them. They have everything they need. And then he sends them out. And immediately there's trouble. And I, I just noticed that whenever there's trouble, whenever we have the word of God and we're out doing the work of God, Jesus is right there walking beside us, whether we can see Him or not. And when we start looking for Him, there He is. Ryan talked about some mountains in the opening of Sunday school this morning. Whenever the mountain looks too tall, let Jesus get, accept Jesus into the boat and you will be at the shore immediately. Whether the mountain is still there, whether the storm still goes on, when, when you have the Word of God, when you have Jesus with you, this is a... a his active example that he will, just being with you, take you through. The people still uh, didn't comprehend what happened because they seen Jesus' disciples leave, uh, verse 22, and they said, you know, there's a lot of other boats here, but we didn't see Jesus leave. So they, uh, verse 23, note that phrase again, uh, John, just in a parenthetical statement here, talks about some of the, the things that are happening. He says, after that the Lord had given thanks when he references the place where they did eat bread. So every time that, that Jesus is multiplying this bread, he gave thanks. So keep your eye on that one. Um, when they found Jesus on the other side of the sea, they took shipping in verse 24. Um, and went to Capernaum seeking for Jesus. And when they had found him on the other side, they said unto him, Rabbi, or teacher, when comest thou here? When did you come here? How did you get here? Jesus knows what's in their heart. He says, Verily, verily, I say unto you, 
You seek me, you're looking for me, not because you saw the miracle I did of multiplying the bread or multiplying the word, but you seek me because you eat the loaves and were filled. So you're hungry. You want some more free food. Labor not for the meat which perishes. So the bread that he had taken and multiplied to him is meat that perishes, but labor for the meat which endures to everlasting life. So now Jesus is getting ready to take out into this sermon with this profound metaphor of the bread. And I think as we look through this that, that we can see the bread, or in this, these verses here, he starts off talking about meat. This is food. He's, he's saying, he's, he's making bread synonymous with food. So think about what food does to you when you eat it. Food transforms. Um, we were just talking about this this morning in our house. We have a two-year-old that wakes up in the morning, and he can be fairly uh, needy. And then this morning after his second pancake, he was singing and he was happy just sitting in his high chair. The food that he took inside of himself transformed his mood. Could we say his spirit was transformed? So labor not for the meat which perishes, but for that meat which endures to everlasting life. He's going to need lunch here pretty soon. But Jesus is telling us, and these are not unfamiliar verses I know to you or concepts, Jesus is telling us that there is meat or food that gives everlasting life or eternal life, which the Son of Man shall give unto you, for Him hath God the Father sealed. So through all of this, we're going to have this metaphor of the bread. We have the Father and we have the Son. Verse 28, what shall we do that we might work the works of God? Jesus told him to labor not. So they said, well, what should we do? What, what should we work on? Is there, what, what work can we do? What is the work of God? How can, we, how can we get this bread? 29, Jesus answered and said unto them, This is the work of God, that you believe on Him whom He hath sent. And He had just said previously that the Son of Man shall give you the bread, for him hath God the Father sealed. Uh, verse 30, they said therefore unto him, assuming here that they understand what he's saying, that he's saying, I am the Son of God. They said, okay, so, so how, can we, how will we believe you? What sign showest thou then that we may see and believe thee? What work dost thou do? Our old scriptures... Um, this is kind of verse 31, the, the Torah that Moses wrote talks about the manna in the desert. God rained down bread from heaven. Moses gave us manna. We got free food for years. We were, we were taken care of. Our hunger was taken care of. Jesus says in verse 32, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Moses gave you not that bread from heaven, but my Father giveth you the true bread. From heaven. So now Jesus has expanded or went further and says that he's talking about true bread. And then he goes even further and says, For the bread of God is he which cometh down from heaven and gives life unto the world. Here again, not 
not a new concept to any of us. These are all familiar. Uh, the people that are listening to them, this is, this is new. This is uh, unheard of, I suppose, at this point. Well, they said, okay, forevermore, give us this bread. Like, that's easy. All we have to do is ask. Jesus said, okay, you've got it. I am the bread of life. Here I am. I'm standing right in front of you. He that comes to me shall never hunger, and he that believes on me shall never thirst. But I said unto you that you also have seen me and believe not. So I'm here. You followed me because of all these miracles. You followed me because of all the free food. I told you that the work of God is to believe. You said you wanted it. Here I am. Believe on me. 37. All that the Father giveth me shall come to me in him that cometh to me, I will in no wise cast out. So anybody that comes, I am not going to reject anybody that comes to me. And it is, uh, verse 38, For I came down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him that sent me, which would be the Father. And this is the Father's will which has sent me, that all which he hath given me, I should lose nothing. So like in the feeding of the 5,000, gather up the fragments so that you don't lose anything. It is the Father's will... Jesus the Son comes to do the Father's will. It is the Father's will that he should lose nothing that the Father has given him, but, that, but should raise it up again at the last day, talking about the resurrection. Verse 40, And this is the will of him that sent me, that everyone which sees the Son and believes on him may have everlasting life, and I will raise him up at the last day. This caused the Jews to murmur. Because he said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. And, and here again, they're old scriptures, the Torah. And I think their traditions would say that if anybody says that you are God or you are the Son of God, it was blasphemy. And so they're questioning this. They say, is this not Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How can you say that you came down from heaven? Some of the things I'm seeing uh, through all this is... Jesus wants us to seek. He wants us to come. He wants us to come and see Him. And when we see Him, He wants us to believe. And it feels like some of this is repetitive, and it probably is because it's obviously a hard lesson to learn, but it keeps building as we go here. So, so he, he goes on and makes some more statements here. We'll just read, Murmur not among yourselves. No man can come, there's that come again, to me, except the Father which has sent him, sent me, draw him, and I will raise him up at the last day. It is written in the prophets, they shall all be taught of God. I believe that's Jeremiah and probably Isaiah is, is what he's referencing there. Uh, I think in Jeremiah, that's, that's the, the instance where God, through the prophet Jeremiah, says that I will write my law on their hearts. Um, Every man, therefore, we're in verse 45, that hath heard... And hath learned of the Father comes to me. Not that any man has seen the Father, save he which is of God, he hath seen the Father. So here we are, we have Jesus. We have a nation of Israel that believes incorrectly that they are the chosen people of God. But they've almost got this entitlement that God will just automatically deliver them. He always has, has always 
fulfilled all of his promises, it's almost like it don't really matter what we do in this covenant relationship we have with God. He's going to deliver. It's almost like we just deserve this. And so if we wait a little bit longer, he'll show up. And Jesus says, I'm here. Here I am. Here's the Messiah that the scriptures, all of your old books have been talking about. In, in John chapter 5, he said, you search the scriptures looking for eternal life. Here I am, and you don't even believe me. Um, verse 46, we read that. So then he gets to verse 48 and says, I am that bread of life. So he's the one that will show you God. This, this is access to God, is Jesus, the Son of God. And then he, he reiterates to them. The, these people were, were so... Um, they admired Moses so much. And this was, this was the Bible, we'll say, that they had was the writings of Moses. And he says, your fathers, in verse 49, did eat manna in the wilderness and are dead. This is the bread which comes down from heaven that a man may eat thereof and not die. And this verse 51 is, is why I wanted to talk about this chapter. I am the living bread. So now this, this bread is alive which came down from heaven. If any man eat this bread, he shall live forever. And this is, this is the profound statement that I don't think I understand. The, and the bread that I will give is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. What is his flesh? Turn over to John chapter 1. John started off this um, book that he wrote with some of the most amazing scriptures that there are uh, in the New Testament. Uh, chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Now, I want to understand what is the flesh of Jesus. I will admit to you that when I was a child and I read this, I didn't understand it. Uh, I got down to verse 6. They started talking about John the Baptist. I had wit witnessed baptizings. I knew what those were, so I could kind of understand John the Baptist, but this, this verse 1 was stuff that the parents read, and uh, this, the Word of God, that didn't make any sense to me. Well, then somebody unlocked this for me. They said, the Word there, that's Jesus. When John says the Word, that's Jesus. Like, oh, okay. Well, I wonder why John would, why didn't he say Jesus? Because that, that would make it a whole lot more obvious. So then as I, I would say about a teenager, I started to think, you know, I'm starting to know who Jesus is, and I think what the deal was, was John was writing this, and Jesus was so amazing, he had lived with him, and he, uh, he just, he, he feels like about like I do today, he just didn't know if he could explain who Jesus was and everything that he knew about him. So it was like he just kind of started writing, and it's like, well, there's this, he, he was in the beginning, and uh, he was the Word, and he was with God, and he was God, and the same was in the beginning with God, and now... I actually don't think that's true either. So that's the progression I've been through. I think that these really are, this is one of the best descriptions of who Jesus is. When John says the word that he uses here uh, in the, the language that he would have wrote it in, in the Greek language, the word is the logos. Um, so the Jews at this time would have had a concept, and we've talked about them depending on the Torah in the old scriptures, and they would have said that the Word of God that they reference is God. They would say that the Word is like a decree, a verbal address. It's God speaking through a prophet, and it's His written Word. 
They said that the, the word, God's word, was his law, his standard of holiness. It was sent to accomplish things. Isaiah 55, my, my word will not go out and come back to me void. It would accomplish. It would bring salvation. It was the agent of revelation to the prophets. Um, it was the agent of creation. You can read Genesis, uh, Psalms 33, that by the word of the Lord were the heavens made. Um, it was the agent of covenants. God's word was the covenant with the people. Um, the agent of Old Testament theophany. Uh, read Genesis 18. I, I won't go into that. Where Jesus shows up in the Old Testament. Um, and it was the source of God's message to his people. So John is writing to Jewish people. He's writing in the Greek language and he puts this, this Greek word in there that has some meaning to Greek people also. So Greek philosophers then would have said that the Logos was the divine essence that holds everything together. Logos is the, is the root of our modern word logic. So when they said word or logos, they were thinking of logic, but they were not only thinking of logic, they were thinking of the spoken word. The spoken word and the unspoken word still in the mind, reason. So they have this abstract concept of logos John says then, with the understanding of both of those two, how the Jews, the Word was almost a person, but it, it was God speaking, and the Greek philosophers said that there's just this force, this, this divine, almighty force that's, that's spoken Word and, and the, the actual thoughts that happened before this Word. John says that in the beginning was the Logos. And the Logos was with God, and the Logos was God. So, I think we can find in the, in the Scriptures also that God is a spirit. So it's like the Word is a spirit. It's this almighty force that holds up the universe, that puts the stars in their place, that puts, holds gravity so that the, the earth stays in the spot. Like the Greek philosophers were seeing things without the knowledge, without the, maybe the understanding of the faith of, of the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and they were actually discovering some things through their logic that were true about it, but they needed Jesus. So, then, verse 2 in John chapter 1, the same was in the beginning with God, all things were made by Him. All things were made by the Logos. But the, the amazing thing that is, that is uncomprehensible is verse 14. And the Logos, this, this force, became flesh. So let's think about that for a minute. Uh, let's finish that verse. The Logos was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. That word is Jesus, and Jesus is God. It says so, John says so, the Word was with God and the Word was God. He created everything. He created us. We know that. He's the only begotten Son of God. So if you beget something, you, the, the thing or the person that's produced is the same kind as you. So Jesus or, or God begot Jesus. He created us. So we are of a different kind. This Word, this Logos, is eternal. Because it was in the beginning, it created everything. So this amazing force 
that is all-powerful, all-knowing, all of these things that the Jews understood and the Greeks understood together came to live in flesh that He Himself created. Go figure that one out. Because I can't even understand that. How can, how, how can He live in a body like this and, and be God? Colossians says, Paul says in Colossians, that Jesus, the Word, the Logos, is the image of the invisible God. How do you draw a picture of something that's invisible? We'll take the wind, for instance. In Proverbs, you can read about the wind, and they'll, if somebody wants to draw a picture of the wind because the wind is invisible, they draw a picture of the effects that the wind has. But they don't actually draw the wind. Jesus is the image of the invisible God. Hebrews says that He's the express image of His person. And finally, in Revelation, His name is the Word, the Logos of God. So I think about God in Genesis who spoke and the world was created. That Word is Jesus. Jesus is God. Let's go back to uh, John chapter 6. So now... I've probably not uh, explained it correctly, but the Logos, the spoken word and the unspoken word dwelling in the flesh is standing here before us. The, uh, and Jesus says, the bread that I will give is my flesh. That flesh is this, this God. I, I don't know how else to explain it. And I will give... For the life of the world, the Jews therefore strove in verse 52 among themselves, saying, how can this man give us his flesh to eat? I have no idea. I mean, I do, but I don't understand how that works. Then Jesus said unto them, verily, verily, I say unto you, now this gets even better, except you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. That on the surface is just bizarre, that you would eat a man's flesh. But this flesh that we have is... is Something, that this Logos, God dwelling in the flesh, is not normal. And it's only happened once, obviously. Um, verse 54, Whoso eateth my flesh and drinketh my blood hath eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day. For my flesh is meat indeed, and my blood is drink indeed, or true flesh and true drink, or um, there's other ways to say that. But that is what you need to eat, and that is what you need to drink is me. So Jesus goes on, and, and we're going to go short here because our time is used up. Uh, the disciples fall away because of these hard sayings. But to eat then, and we don't really understand how this, this spirit dwells in the flesh of Almighty God can, can come down and, and live in this flesh. To eat then is to believe that, is to believe that He did it, to believe that He comes, to take it in, and like the two-year-old, be transformed when you take it in, when you eat the flesh. It is not enough to come to Jesus. It is not enough to see Him. It is not enough to believe that He was an amazing prophet and that He had the words of God. You have to eat Him. That 
is what it takes to have eternal life. And then, he, he, here, here Jesus goes again and he continues to expand. He says, not only do you have to eat my flesh, you have to drink my blood. So all of him, all that he is there to drink is to accept the fact that the Messiah that the Jews had learned about their entire life for all of these hundreds of years from this old Bible that would come and deliver them just like he did in Egypt. The Passover's coming. He delivered us back then. We know he's coming again. Maybe it'll be this year. To drink is to accept the fact that in his death, he saves us. To, to drink his blood, the Messiah died. He wasn't, he did not come and take over the political situation and deliver people from starvation and hunger. I mean, in the 5,000 he did there that one instance. And, and rule as a king and run the Romans out as a mighty warrior. He took the word of God and he multiplied it and he gave it to everyone and there's more than enough. A sobering fact then is at the end of this, this chapter... People hear this, and, and for whatever reason, they've got a lot of history. They're Jews, and, and they're like, I don't know. I don't think so. Messiah's not going to die. Don't believe it. Um, Jesus says to his disciples, will you go away also? Several went away. This is, this is your chance. You've said you believe. You've been following me. This is your chance. You can run away. And uh, Simon Peter, a, a, verse 68, answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? Thou hast the words of eternal life. I didn't read one of the verses here that I wanted to read. Verse 63, before we get to Simon Peter, it is the spirit that quickens, the flesh profits nothing. The words that I speak unto you, they are spirit, they are life. So the, the metaphor that Jesus is using of the bread, of eating my flesh, of drinking my blood, it is all metaphor, but it is about the spirit. However, with him, he's the spirit and he comes and dwells in the flesh. It's like the spirit meets flesh or the metaphor meets reality. And that's, that's I, I still can't comprehend that. I understand it. I believe it by faith. And every time I think about it, there's just more there than, than what I can understand. Um, will you go away also? Simon Peter confesses him that even though he probably doesn't understand everything either at this point, that you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Verse 70, Jesus answers them and says, Have not I chosen you twelve, and one of you is a devil? So, we learned through all this sermon that Jesus taught that it is the will of the Father. And He sent Jesus, and Jesus does the Father's will. It's the will of the Father that Jesus loses none that the Father gave Him. Jesus says, I didn't lose any. And I believe that. And yet, in verse 70, I've chose you twelve and one of you is a devil. And we know the story of Judas Iscariot. He betrayed Jesus. Um, it appears like to me that it is the will of the Father, that, that the Father draws, that He has sent His Son, Jesus. He has sent this miraculous Logos to live in the flesh to save us. And we have a decision to make. Judas made a decision. Sometimes I wonder if God's calling out to me and saying, Judas, will you betray me today? Um, is, is this, does this offend you? Verse 61, these things that I say, does this offend you? You know, this is church. We're all Christians. We all believe in Jesus. We could talk about this eat the flesh, drink the blood stuff. I got to go to work tomorrow. You know, I got to run into some people. 
Can I eat the flesh? Can I be? Can... One of the things Jesus said in verse 56 that I guess is the most profound of all, I was about to skip over it, but we need to say it, is he that eats my flesh and drinks my blood dwells in me. How do we dwell in Jesus? How do we dwell in this logos, the word, the almighty God just thinking and then speaking and when he speaks, his words move mountains. How do we dwell in him? And even greater than that, how does Jesus dwell in us? Like we know what happens, we live this, but how does that really work? How does a power so great live inside of me? How, do, how, how does Jesus dwell in me? I guess that's the question I'll leave you with. I don't have the answer for you. I know, I know that He does. I know what the Spirit does. And I believe it. Um, it's just too big. It really is just too big. So, I want to conclude here, um, then, with some of the, the things we do today to remember this fact. Turn over to 1 Corinthians 11. This is pertinent to us because we are um, going to have a communion next weekend. And we will talk about some of these things. I suppose this is some of the reason why I came to this topic. Verse 23, Paul says, For I have received of the Lord that which I also delivered unto you, that the Lord Jesus, the same night in which he was betrayed, Judas, that we just read about, took bread. And here it goes again. And when he had given thanks, a very important part of, of eating the flesh of Jesus is to pray to God. Jesus did it every time. The, the writers of the Gospels record it every time. He break it and he said, take, eat. So now what we're going to do in this symbolic uh, Lord's Supper meal is take, eat. This is my body, which is broken or, or given to you. This do in remembrance of me. So as, so as Christians and as uh, humans in the flesh, we have the propensity, I think, to forget what's going on. Like I said, I got to go to work Monday or, or I got to go back to school Monday and, and somebody there may not be a believer. And how do I how do I have this amazing, unexplainable spirit inside of me? And uh, how do I work the works of God? How do I believe? How, how do I handle all that? Am I Judas? Do I betray him? Or do I possibly at my own expense uh, confess him? Um, so I think this Last Supper then, this... this is, is a reminder, is a restatement of the covenant that we made with God at the time of our baptism or, or when we said, Lord Jesus, you are the Lord of my life and He miraculously, incomprehensibly came inside of us and lives inside of us and helps us then be transformed like eating food. It helps us transform our mood to act like we should. So today, for me, on October the 16th is a, an interesting day. Six years ago today, I was baptized. And I need to remember that. I need to remember that covenant. I need to remember what that felt like when that spirit came. Because it's like, I believed. I believed for 10 years at that point. 
It's not enough to come. It's not enough to see. You can even believe that he's a prophet. You have to eat his flesh. You have to eat it. Does that make sense? I hope so. I, I feel like I've been rambling on there. And after the same manner, verse 25, he also took the cup, and when he had ate supper or supped, saying, This cup is the New Testament in my blood. This do ye, and as oft as you do it, or as oft as you drink it in remembrance of me, for as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you do show forth the Lord's death until he comes. So it's a restating of the covenant when we have the communion service, when we eat the bread, when we drink the cup, and, and that is the God, the Logos, the, the Word in the flesh that, that we're dealing with and that lives inside of us. Let's close in prayer. Almighty God, Father in heaven, we conclude this service today. Uh, I stand before you as a man. I, I feel like we have read your word, your scriptures. We've read the words of your son, Jesus. He is the word. He is the life. He's the bread of life. And I feel like we just have only scratched the surface of what you have for us. So Lord, I pray that your spirit will take your word, like in the feeding of the 5,000, and multiply it to many, and be the bread, be the sustenance, be the food that transforms to eternal life for all that hear it today under the sound of my voice and any that read your word, uh, because it is life and it has the power to give life. Lord, we need your help. Uh, without you living inside of us, we are dead. When you live inside of us, we have eternal life. Help us to confess you each day, to restate the covenant. Your, your death is enough. Your death was enough. It does not need to happen again. But Lord, help us to eat you, to, to be sustained by you every day. And then... Help us to obey your commands that you give in the word so that we don't forget, but we remember the covenant that we have with you to be the Lord of our life. Lord, we thank you for the blessings uh, of this day that you give to us. We thank you for this congregation of people that have come together to worship you in spirit and truth. And I ask your blessing on each one of them that came. Uh, and I, I just end this prayer in the name of the Word of God, Jesus, your Son. Amen.